My name's Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. Uh, I know that most of you know that very well, but uh, one or two less well, and it's really nice to be back again. Um, it's really nice to know that Adam is human, and uh, you know, because he is so remarkable uh, in organising things that, and to him, to him confesses done the same colour sheet two weeks running. It's uh, the sort of thing most of us might do, but Adam, we absolve you of that terrible crime. Uh, we can do that. You know. So anyway, you should have a, a pinky lilac sheet, which is obviously Adam's favourite colour. Actually, it's the colour of his shirt he's wearing, so it's probably got something to do with that as well. Uh, week five, Strongholds, is where we're going. And just in case anybody missed the notice earlier, Adam's not here next week. We're not doing Living Free next week, but I am doing a week on missional discipleship, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday evenings. Uh, back in October on the Tuesday and Thursday, I spent some time helping us think through how to pray for others. Um, we didn't do that on the Wednesday because it was living free. Next week on the Tuesday and Thursday, I'm thinking about how we tell our own story as people give us the opportunity. And on Wednesday night, you get a bit of both, a bit of how to pray for each other and how to tell your story. So same time next week, we'll be here again. It won't be living free, but um, it will be missional discipleship. And there won't be any colour sheets of any colour, I don't think. Right, here endeth the advert. So here we go, week five strongholds, a bit of a recap on where... Uh, we've been so far. Week one, uh, we have an original design. God's made all of us in his image, but he's made each of us uniquely as well. That lovely verse from Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork. Greek word poema, his poetry. He's crafted us. Poets don't just throw words together randomly. They craft a poem. We're crafted by God carefully. Uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And what we're longing for is to become the people God's made us to be and then do the things he's prepared us to do. And when you start doing the stuff that God has made you to do, there is tremendous joy and fulfilment. Uh, and that's what we all want uh, more of. Uh, I'm sorry it hasn't been possible yet to have the original design prayer. Uh, that is such a helpful thing. I first received this sort of prayer back in 2006. And it was a really wonderful thing. And I encourage you, come on that Saturday if you possibly can. And if you can't, twist Adam's arm to make sure there's another date so it can happen. Uh, teaching, the living free teaching, essentially, I met up with two people I'd never met before in my life. Jim and Jeannie from Tacoma in North America. I've never seen them since, but they did a great job. Uh, I said hello, and then they said, I, I want to talk and say hello and introduce myself. And they said, no, Jonathan, if you don't mind, we'll just listen to the Lord. We don't want to get anything from you. Um, apart, so they knew I was gobby, but apart from that, they didn't know anything. And they listened to the Lord. They each had a notepad, and they wrote down what they thought God was saying about my original design. And when they read it through, it was tremendously affirming, and I knew that was true. The particularly significant thing was both of them had a picture, exactly the same picture for me. I don't tend to talk publicly about that, what, what that was about, because when others come up with that same picture for me, I know we're on to something. But I was quite wowed by that. And when I told the church that, people were going, wow. So the same picture, they both had it. And then there was a chap called Rob sitting there giggling away, like it's hard for God to say the same thing to two people. <laughs> if what we believe is true, of course God can do this. It was very, very affirming. And I really encourage you to look forward to that. In week two, we saw how our original design is spoilt from Genesis 3. What we call the fall is a bit of a weak word for a complete disaster. Uh, Adam and Eve, and since then every one of us rebelled against God and fell for the lies of the evil one, and since then we are caught up in this spiritual battle. The main verse for tonight that we'll come back to a few times is this verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We're thinking on Sunday we don't fight against other people. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The main battleground in us runs through our brains. It's what we believe, what we think will affect how we, who we are and how we behave. And if the evil one can sow lies in us, that will affect behavior. In the Garden of Eden, he sowed the lie that God's a spoil sport and he doesn't really mean what he says. And when they believed that lie, the disobedience crept in. Uh, and we'll have a lot more about that tonight. 
In week three, we focused on the fact we live in two realms. The physical realm, we can see, smell, touch, feel, hear, all around us. But at the same time, the spiritual realm, just as there are phone signals and radio signals and TV signals going right through this church, you can't see them. If you pulled out your phone and switched on, you could connect with them. Please don't do that now. In the same way, the spiritual realm, we can't see it, but it's here. Jesus is here by his spirits. The angels are here. Also, the forces of evil are around. And we live in that spiritual battle all the time. Uh, Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Gosh, we've just been thinking about the terrible great wars, the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. Monstrous evil that leads to this greed and violence erupting in our human world. Last week, Adam was speaking about hearing God speak. Supremely, we hear God speak through the scriptures. This is our bedrock, the word of the Lord. But God speaks to us all in lots of different ways. Dreams and pictures and hunches and still small voices and whispers and different things. And we need to learn to discern how God communicates with us particularly. Uh, this verse, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Of course, the little lambs are just learning the shepherd's voice as they grow older. Uh, a shepherd in, of course, the Middle East in Jesus' time, she sheep were not kept for their meat. They were scrawny, scraggy things. <laughs> they, were, they were kept for their wool. And so they lived a long time and had lots of coats of wool that became garments. So the shepherd got to know them. Oh, there's spotty eye and there's wobbly leg and there's whatever names he gave to them. And the sheep would have recognized the shepherd's voice. Um, the wonderful story, a guy called H.V. Morton wrote some books, having traveled in the Holy Land over 100 years ago. And he talks about seeing two or three flocks going around together with two or three shepherds. And at the end of the day, the shepherds standing separately and making their own distinctive call and the sheep just going where they belonged. A bit like me with my dog, except when I call Dudley and whistle him, he doesn't come. But, uh, they are, but he knows me and eventually he potters after me. Uh, but it, he knows my voice and he's selectively deaf. But as we grow as the Lord's sheep, we learn to hear his voice and how he speaks to us. Uh, for some, there's much more visual pictures that come and God speaks to you. For others, it's thoughts and things. But we're learning that. It's different for each of us. But the big battle is the battle for truth. All God's promises are faithful and true. The evil one is defeated through the cross. Uh, and it's the truth that sets us free. This wonderful verse, John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Both the Greek sense of truth, Greek sense of truth is what we think of sort of scientific truth, two plus two equals four. Knowing what is true sets us free. But even more so, the Hebrew concept of truth, Hebrew word emeth, is much more about that which is trustworthy, that which you can rely upon, that which won't let you down. And supremely, that is Jesus written above me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. And it's knowing Jesus and his word that will set us free from the lies of the evil one. So it's a battle for our minds and our thinking. In Romans 12, halfway through these verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's in our thinking. That's why the Bible is so important. Our scriptures, uh, we need to read them each day. We need to feed on them till they become part of who we are. And the more we know the scriptures, the more we can detect error and what's not right. And we need to sort of read the scriptures in one hand and our newspapers in the other, as it were, and hold the two together. But we let the scriptures shine light into the world as we see it, rather than the other way around. Uh, and in Philippians 4 verse 8, Paul says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy... Think about those things. It's what we feed into our brains is what becomes part of us. Just as what we put into our car either helps or doesn't. I, how many of you have put the wrong fuel in your car, the unleaded or the diesel? Yeah, most of us have done it once. Some of you are in denial. Some of you it will happen. How many of you have done it more than once? 
very few, but Adam, well done. Yeah, that's for the recording, just so everyone, I won't name everybody else, but, uh, but most of us learn. But we need to work, <laughs> it's putting the right stuff into our brains is what will help us. And there are, of course, these terrible crimes where people have been watching violent videos endlessly, and then they, that's what comes out. Paul says, what we feed in, the truth, then that is the truth that will come out. So all that is by way of introduction. What do we mean by a stronghold? Well, just in the physical world, uh, a stronghold is a base of operation, a military camp, a fortified defence. Uh, there you are. There's one. <laughs> uh, I've no idea. Where's that one then? Is that sort of Leeds Castle or something or something? Where is it? Okay, well, I've just been up in the northeast, and there are loads of castles there walking along. I've never done Northumbria before. Just walking along the coast, endless these strongholds, one after another after another. Uh, a safe place as a base. Um, on D-Day, when they established a beachhead, they, met, they got a place that was a base they could work from in the notes. Those of you like the Lord of the Rings, which are great visual aids of all the truths of spiritual battle. Um, the helm's deep. In ourselves... Um, we can have a stronghold in our brain. This is something that's really firmly rooted, that's hard to get rid of. It could be really good, a real truth. God is my heavenly father. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not fear. Once that's rooted in you, that is a good one. There might be a terrible one in you. I am rubbish. I am no good at anything. I'm a failure. Nobody loves me. And some people have that in them. And that is awful and that needs to be destroyed. And that's what we're talking about. In Psalm 27, verse 1, we read, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. We are safe in him, protected from all assaults of the evil one. But there are these unhealthy strongholds. They're when lies take a root in us and become part of who we are, or unhealthy behavior becomes part of who we are. And, what we're, and we have the spiritual weapons to demolish these unhealthy strongholds. And we have lots of examples as we go through. We demolish them through prayer and through truth. Uh, and we'll see how that works. Uh, this phrase here is really helpful. A stronghold is an ingrained pattern of behavior or thinking which becomes part of who we are. And in this sense, a negative one blocks the work of God in our lives. So any sort of reasoning or attitude or belief or thought or value that is in opposition to God's truth. Uh, God doesn't notice me, he doesn't care about me. Everybody thinks that occasionally. But if you think that every day and it becomes part of who you are, it's very hard to enter into all the freedom that God has for you. That sort of pattern of thinking needs to be dismantled. And Satan's strategy, as it says here, is to get individuals, couples, families, churches, communities, cultures, institutions, organizations, whole nations to buy into beliefs and values that are in opposition to God's truth. In the West, the strategy seems to have been Let's persuade them God is irrelevant. Then let's persuade them that Christians are soft in the head. And once it's got, or, or are bigots, that's the latest one, isn't it? Christians are bigots is what people believe. Uh, once the world believes that, it's, it's hard to get that out of their head. It's hard, hard for them to come to understand what good news Jesus is. Uh, and God's truth is absolute. It, what is true is true. And it's liberating. And the truth breaks the, the lies. We need to start, instead of believing the lies we believe to believe God's truth. And to the extent that we believe any lies, that sort of is a barrier to God's healthy work in us. Equally, to the extent that we believe God's truth, that stops the enemy's lies affecting us. Uh, so how do these strongholds become established? And they're, they're all related to each other. Um, we're never just one thing that's not right. Things like... Uh, uh, well, there's a whole list on the other side. We'll come to them, greed and worry and fear and anger and anxiety. We have lots of these interplaying in us, but some of them become very significant. How do they get established? Strongholds are built up by allowing the enemy to have a place or opportunity in our life. The Greek word topos, Paul uses, it means a place or a foothold. We get our word topography from it to learn what the, the land how the land lies. Um, so right at the beginning of Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. At your door. It desires to have you. In other words, 
We don't start off with all the sin in our lives. It's trying to get in. And if we give it access, we give it a place in our lives. Uh, This verse from Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Do not give the devil a topos, a foothold. That's where Paul uses the word. So some anger is right and proper. When something bad and wrong happens, something that should not happen... Anger at that, a righteous anger, is fair enough. Like Jesus, uh, when in the temple, they've got all this chaos going on that stops people praying and rips people off. He's angry about it. He's right to be. The problem comes when, in our anger, we let sin in, and it becomes unrighteous anger that really wants revenge and violence and get our own back and all that. And that's much more destructive. And Paul says to the church in Ephesus, deal with it before bedtime. (laughs) If something's happened that's made you angry, deal with it before bedtime. Don't let the sun go down. If we don't deal with it, it's still there the next day. And then if it grows and builds, it can become what the writer to the Hebrews calls a root of bitterness. It becomes deeply entrenched in us. It's much harder to, to weed out. I love this that Jesus says in John 14, 30. Uh, I won't speak with you much longer. The prince of this world is coming. That's the evil one. He has no hold on me. I love that. Jesus allowed no topos in him, no landing ground for the evil one, until he willingly took our sin on himself on the cross. Up to that point, no sin, believing no lies, trusting the heavenly father perfectly. So how, if we give the devil a foothold and we don't get rid of it, it builds up and builds up. So something happens to you and you become angry and you sin in your anger. Uh, If every time something bad happens, you get angry and you lash out, it becomes a habitual pattern and you become an angry person. Now, in general, I'm not an angry person, but sometimes something happens and I'll lash out. But in general, that hasn't become my character. There are other problems that I'm dealing with, but that's not one of them in general. But someone who always lashes out in anger becomes an angry person. And we all know examples of that. So we tend to tread on the eggshells a bit carefully. We tiptoe around them. We don't want to... We know that if we provoke them, it will provoke this extreme reaction. That is an example of a stronghold. So it's become part of who someone is. And it's much harder to break when it gets so strong. But all this starts with our thinking. In between something happening to us and a reaction, there's a little space where we choose how we react. Are we going to look to forgive? Are we going to look to trust the Lord? Are we looking to lash out? So examples of this. One example, very quick, the tip of an iceberg. Yeah, Was it 90% of an iceberg is below the surface? So you see the tip of it, but not the whole thing. When there's a person who's very angry... They don't present as that outwardly. They may seem very charming, but you know jolly well that if you tread on their toes, there's this whole iceberg below that will erupt. And I want to do a visual aid on this one, and I've asked Jono and Heather if they would come and help me with this. So Jono and Heather, can we have a round of applause for our recently married couple? Here they are. Jono and Heather were married on August the 18th. I know that. It was my son's 18th birthday. Jono is going to stand here and just be passive. We don't always recommend being passive, but for the purposes of this illustration, Heather is going to tie one loop of cotton around him and tie it in a knot around around his elbows. Now, this is an illustration of a lie. So someone has said to Jono, for example, oh, you're rubbish. It happens once. Okay, now, you'll need to do it tighter next time, but there is... there is, there is a knot there, is there? Okay, let's tie a better knot. Yeah, we should have done it the other way around, but I thought it would be better this way around. For the, this is, have we got a knot? There we are. John, one light, can you break that? You can break it, it's easy. Can you now go around him five times? Imagine that, and so nice and tight, keep your arms tight, nice and tight, tight. Keep going round and round and round and round and round and round. Don't want to hold one end. There we go. Okay, you're going round, there we go. Five times we're going around. Five lies. John as a little boy, has been told he's rubbish at this. Someone, his teacher has said you're no good at anything. Someone else has said you'll never amount to anything. This has happened five times. We're tying a knot. 
It's a proper knot. Two, you know, proper knot. That's half a knot. Come on, come on, Heather. What do they teach architects these days? <laughs> you can draw a knot, but you have to be able to tie one as well. There we go. Okay. Now, this is, can you break out of that? Yes. It just did. You see, it just took a bit more. Right. We're going to use the whole cotton reel now. Okay. Okay. So that's right. If you fall over, we'll get someone else to take over. So round you go. Not that you've broken it already. Imagine that as someone grows up, the same lie is told again and again and again and again. No, no, no. You've got to keep your arms straight by your side or it's got no chance. There you go, Heather. Well done. So don't run too fast. We don't need to be dizzy. Jono has been believing lies all his life. Everybody has said to him, he's no good. He'll never amount to anything. He's rubbish at this. He's hopeless at that. He's no good at absolutely anything. And all his life... Do you know what effect this has on you? What about, I grew up with, um, I had lots of bright red um, curly hair and thick glasses and I really grew up believing I was ugly because being a ginger is, uh, is, for a boy, is terrible. Uh, all, all my um, mum's friends said, oh, I wish I had hair your colour, and that just made me want it even less. I was so thrilled when my hair fell out. That was absolutely <laughs> wonderful. But actually, someone said to me, you're quite a good-looking chap. And I went, really? I've, all my life I've believed I'm not. It's nonsense. It's, um, uh, but I believed that for a long time. No, keep going, keep going. Come on, Heather. There's a lie. It's a big reel. You've got to go around 100 times. He's been believing lies all his life. There's, he may not be all that old, but you know, he's, he's been believing lies all his life. Keep going. How many do you think you've done so far? Keep going. There you are. Right, there we are. Anyway, there's lots and lots and lots and lots of lies that have gone on. And the, the point is, it begins to actually build up, and it's hard to break out. You can think. Uh, it happens with teenagers, don't they? They start swearing. They swear in front of their friends. It's cool, I think. But they can switch it off at home. But then they swear more and more. And then the point comes where they've sworn at their mother. And suddenly it's hard to break out of. Uh, it comes with the anger. You think you can control it and you lash out. So here, we're nearly there. Okay, so John has been believing lies all his life. There we are. Tie it all up and we'll find out whether he can break out of this. Okay? Right, there we go. So it's lies, John. It's rubbish. Break out of it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Or he could. You might actually hurt yourself. So the Lord has a way of dealing with it. Thank you. Round of applause for our fine couple. Brilliant. Perfect visual aid, John O. I did say try and break it. Last time we did this, we had someone that we didn't have as much cotton and someone managed to break it. And I thought, bother, that really wrecks the visual aid. But the, the point comes, you, we think we're in control of stuff, but the point comes where the lies have got us. And when that happens, there's a stronghold in place. And we need the Lord's help to dismantle it. And examples here are greed. The sort of person who's never got enough. They always want more. There's never enough. Worry. Now, it's right to be concerned about things. But when that becomes crippling, the sort of person who is just worried about everything, it's become part of who they are. Uh, Fear is one that is pervasive, We are afraid of things going wrong. We're afraid of what people think of us. We're afraid of letting go. We're afraid of not having enough. It it can become paralyzing. Oh, I mustn't share my faith because I'm afraid of how they'll react to me. Or I mustn't. Uh, Anger, we've talked about. Anxiety. Now, it's right to be concerned, but anxiety can be paralyzing. Uh, That Some people feel deeply insignificant. Nobody notices me. I don't amount to anything. Why would God ever notice me? Some people have the opposite. Their sort of superiority and pride and arrogance is I deserve everything. It might be some very wealthy or some of these uh, noble families. The sort of what's come down is you deserve everything. You're the ruler of whatever it is. These things are very powerful. Now, when I had my prayer for original design... I went, it was uh, over a few days, and there was a second prayer appointment I had. Uh, We're not going to do the second prayer appointments, though if anybody wants them individually, that may well be something we could do. This one was about what strongholds are in Jonathan's life that are stopping him becoming who God has made him to be. 
And I had the same two people, as she did Jim and Jeannie again. And uh, actually, it, it, was, it was the same appointment. It was the second appointment on the same day. And uh, they listened to God and they scribbled away on their pad. They were writing rather a lot, both of them, about what was coming. And then they compared notes and they both had the same thing again. They called it different words. One of them called it rebellion. One of them called it unbelief. They're next to each other on your notes. But when they described it, they both described, I didn't trust God to guide me fully into the way to lead the church. So what happened was, if I knew what the right thing to do was, and with my team we'd do it, we'd do it. If I didn't know what the right thing was, we'd talk, we'd make a plan, and on we'd go. And sometimes we'd got that right and then step with the Lord, and sometimes we hadn't. And I was thinking, well, if I don't know what to do, I must listen to everybody else. But the Lord has promised to guide us. And sometimes we have to wait. Waiting is a spiritual discipline. And what came out was that I didn't really fully trust God to guide all that we needed, all that I needed to lead the church. And one of them called it rebellion, because if the Lord hadn't told me what to do, I was going on and doing my own thing. One of them called it unbelief. I didn't believe that God would, would guide. So some, some of you were at the church. After that, I was very, I recognized it and I repented publicly in front of the church. I said, I'm really sorry for that. From now on, if I'm not clear that God has called us what to do, I shall say, wait. And I've tried to do that a few times. The old activist has crept in and made it. But in general, that was important. And if we're not clear what the right way forward is, I'm pausing and waiting until God's revealed. Uh, some people have the opposite problem. Some people are so reflective, they almost never get up and do anything. <laughs> Their stronghold is daring to trust God that when you get off your backside and do something, it will be... All right. So we all have different ones, but for me, I was going ahead of God's call. And there are other ones like shame. If we're deeply... A... Guilt is okay. If I've done something wrong, I ought to feel guilty, and then I confess it and I'm forgiven and on we move. But sh guilt is when I recognise that something I've done is bad. Shame is when I say, I'm bad. And, I, and that's not, we're never going to blossom into who we are if we feel we're rubbish. And Jesus came to set us free, not just from our sin that stops our relationship with him, but from the effects of our sin, which is all of this. So how do these things get going in the first place? Section four of the notes. How do these foundational thoughts get access? Strongholds don't just happen. Something happens that starts them off. Uh, love deprivation. Let me give an example. Suppose three boys grow up with an alcoholic father who's violent. He often out at the pub, comes back drunk and comes back violent. The oldest boy is 17 and if his father comes back violent, he's big enough to stand up to him and he'll fight back. Middle boy is 13. He's scared of his father, so he tries to appease him. Hello, Dad, are you okay? Can I get your drink? Can I get your slippers? Is there anything I need? Can I look after you? What can I do for you? Can I help? Eight-year-old is terrified, hides under the bed. Now, if they do this week in, week out, that will generate how they react when there's a threat. Number one will probably always fight back. Number two will probably always appease. Number three will probably always hide. Sometimes the right thing is to fight back. Sometimes the right thing is to go gently. Sometimes the right thing is to run. But if your reaction is always the same every time, it's probably got hold of you rather than you reacting. Curses. We live in a world where of, of curses. Blessing and curse have tremendous power. The blessing I do at the end of a service, blessing you with the peace that passes understanding, the peace that makes no human sense whatsoever, is a powerful thing. There are people who would curse I know there are covens of witches around who try and curse vicars and churches. We can break those curses, and Jesus is more powerful. There are parts of the world where the sort of witch doctors have cursed all sorts of folks and have, uh, have a grip on them. Curses are powerful. They can be broken. Soul ties. This is where we are tied to someone else unhealthily. It might be a child that's never really left home, even though they're an adult. They're still sort of tied to their mother's apron strings. It might be someone who's slept with multiple partners and they left a bit of them inside each one and they're connected with so many people they don't know who they are anymore. A generational sin that comes down. 
Freemasonry is a classic in this. Gosh, the grip of evil that is in Freemasonry, utterly incompatible with Christianity. Uh, and we've seen people gloriously set free from the effects of Freemasonry in their lives. It looks so respectable, but it worships another God and it's trying to earn stuff yourself and it's opposed to the cross. And every report that's been done says it's uh, incompatible with Christianity. The occult, people who've got involved with Ouija boards or with tarot or with seances, these give the enemy access into us. And we can deal with them. Jesus is more strong, but these things help us, uh, can help these things get going. Gosh, folks who've been abused. There are so many people in our society now, we realise, who've been abused, often in childhood. And lots of people in our own church family who've been set free and are being set free from this. Obviously, these aren't the things we put on the notice sheet as these go. But in our, in our society, the sort of the whole Jimmy Savile thing that took the lid off everything, in every area of society, there's been awful abuse. And that can lead to terrible things that can be crippling. And Jesus can set us free. It's a bit like you get to a point where the cotton thread looks so flimsy, but when it's gone round a hundred times, you're trapped. And Jesus can set us free. And of course, our own choices. <laughs> and we, are very, we are definitely responsible for those. So over the page, how do we pull these things down? I've, tried, I've painted a picture. Um, how do we pull them down? Well, it's the same 5R pattern as we used on week two. We need to recognize what they are. We repent of any lies we've believed or wrong choices we've made. We receive God's forgiveness and we receive fresh filling of his spirit and we rebuke the evil one. We're told in scripture, if we rebuke the evil one, he will flee. Uh, your notes from week two go through all this very fully. And we spend a lot of time on week two doing this. And then we replace. I have a friend who grew up feeling insignificant. He's, uh, he's actually a very significant fellow. He's a vicar in another part of the country doing a brilliant ministry. But for years he felt that he didn't matter and no one would take an interest in him. It went back to childhood. And he's been through this and he's worked out. I said, what do you do to replace that? He said, whenever I go to a conference and there's a speaker on the platform, I always used to have questions, but I'd never ask him because I thought, well, I don't matter. Why would he be interested in me? So he replaces it. Every conference he goes to, he goes right up to the speaker and asks the question. Well, of course he wants to know my question. I'm, I'm a child of God. I matter. And he's walking in the opposite spirit, and it has a, has a way of breaking this thing. So we have to... Re the first thing, though, is we need to recognise what's there. And here are four ways... Uh, there's stuff about us that we know and everybody else knows about us. Uh, that might be very obvious. Uh, I'm a bit worried about everything or I'm a bit afraid about everything or actually I've got a bit of an anger problem. Or, and if, if, we're, if we're open about it and others know about it, we can start to deal with it. There's stuff about us that we know but nobody else knows. We've kept this buried quietly and we need to bring it to the light. There's stuff about us that everybody else knows and we're blind to and we're never going to recognise it unless someone kindly tells us. Uh, in love, Jonathan, you have a danger of being too controlling. Actually, the root of that one is not me trying to control it. There's a bit of fear in there. I when this was done, uh, when did we do this? Earlier in the year. I had, a, I had some original design prayer and I asked for the stronghold prayer as well. And someone said, one of the reasons I don't always delegate as well as I could is a fear that it might not go well enough. Is that a lack of trust in God that is his church? Is that, it's not that I really want to control it because that makes me feel more powerful. It's the opposite. It's I really want it to go well. And do I dare to trust that it will? There's a bit of fear that I'm having to deal with. Uh, but if nobody tells me, how will I know? And then there's some stuff about that we don't know about ourselves and nobody else knows. And this is where the prophetic is so wonderful. If in a prayer time, God reveals to someone the issue. Um, take 
David, well, David knew about his sin with Bathsheba, but nobody else knew about it. And he wasn't doing anything about it. And God revealed to the prophet Nathan. And Nathan went and told a story. And David was angry and he says, you are the man. It was revealed, but it was revealed prophetically. But there are some things that are revealed that we wouldn't know at all. Uh, in that prayer appointment I had earlier in the year, one of the ladies had a picture of me as a child hurting and wanting comfort from my parents and not getting it. Uh, it turns out, I've talked through with my mum this, the first two weeks of my life, uh, I, I was shut away from my mum in hospital and crying and not allowed to go to her. It was at, these were back in 1963 when it was very harsh regimes. What did that do to the spirit inside me of thinking I'm on my own when I'm hurting? I was then away at boarding school where I was bullied. And you just think, I'm on my own. And the root of this, I've got to sort this out myself, is connected with that. So people telling me, oh, you're too controlling, you need to delegate more, miss it entirely. Someone who said, but when we get to the point of saying, Jonathan, are you afraid of letting others, are you, do you think you need to do this yourself because it won't work otherwise? And then we're getting somewhere and we can release. So it's, it's that prophetic stuff I had in, in earlier in the year. It was really helpful in, in helping me. Ah, well, if I deal with that, that will help me release more and trust more and trust that my Heavenly Father won't let me down. So you get the, begin to get the idea. We need to rec until we recognize what it is, we can't deal with it. Once we do recognize what it is, we need to repent. So if I believe I'm rubbish, I need to repent of believing the lie. I'm so sorry, God, that I've believed the lie that I don't matter. Thank you that you've made me in your image and Jesus died for me and I do matter. Please help me believe that. Uh, for me, I'm so sorry, Lord Jesus, that I'm afraid that if I let go of something, it will go badly and I don't trust you. Please forgive me. Or, I'm so sorry, Heavenly Father, that I didn't believe you enough that you would guide us, so I made up myself what we should do. Do you get that idea? We repent of, this is a lie we've believed, or this is something we've not trusted God on. We then receive forgiveness. Jesus paid the price for all our sin on the cross. This is wonderful news. And we said, please forgive me and help me to know it deep in my guts, not just in my head. And then we pray, Lord, please fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Now this is powerful because we've just emptied out of our life some muck. So there's more room to be filled up. If we, if we just pray, fill me with your Holy Spirit, but we're full of fear and anxiety and greed and everything else and worry, there's no room for any Holy Spirit to get in. We have to empty out the bad stuff before we can be filled with the good stuff. And then we rebuke the evil one. The Bible says, rebuke him and he will flee. Resist him and he will flee. So I say, Satan and powers of darkness, I will not believe your lie that I cannot trust God to guide me. Jesus has promised. God has said, I will guide you in the Psalms. I choose to believe that. I rebuke you. I will not listen to that lie anymore. Or if you've believed you're worthless, Satan and forces of darkness, I rebuke you. I, I for lying to me that I don't matter. I'm made as a child of God. I do matter. I rebuke you. I will not listen to that lie. It's very powerful. And saying it out loud has a tremendous power. Satan doesn't know our thoughts. Uh, God knows our thoughts. He's infinite. You can pray in your head and God hears it. The devil doesn't know what you're thinking at all. It's only when it comes out of our mouth he knows or when he sees actions. We speak it out. And that's where having someone else with us can be really helpful with this. Uh, and then we replace with the opposite spirit. Okay, I'm going to learn to trust someone in an area that I'm struggling with. Uh, we're going to do this. And, and we're going to... Um, help me, Lord. I'm going to... Do you get the idea? Uh, Everybody is shouting at me, make a decision what to do, and the Lord hasn't revealed it yet. I'm going to say wait. <laughs> so this summary, this... At the end of it, this one, two, three here. Take every thought and imagination captive for Christ. Our brain is, imagine a sentry on duty. A thought comes in and we say, am I going to let that thought take root in my brain or not? Is this, where, where are you coming from? Are you from God? 
in you come. Is this a lie from the evil one? No, I'm not having it. It's that sort of taking captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And when we get our mind sorted, that then begins to affect the, what we choose to do and who we become habitually. And eventually our emotions will fall into line with that. I like this line. I think this was from Adam's notes or he nicked it from someone else. But recognize the need for both air attack, spiritual warfare prayer, and ground assault. We walk it out in the truth, both, both together. I like that. Over the page, you may find it helpful to pray with others once you recognize the stronghold needs to be dealt with. If it's a stronghold, it's become rooted in you. It's pretty hard to deal with them on your own. You often need someone to pray with you for that. Uh, and that's helpful. And the whole point of this is to pray and get rid of the lies and the strongholds. And then we become more free to become who we're made to be. Uh, I mentioned in the sermon on Sunday, there are these three tenses of salvation. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are forgiven, that's done. But we are in the process of being saved from the power of sin. It has a grip on our lives, which we're slowly being set free from as we become who we're made to be. And one day, when Jesus returns, or when we die and get to glory, whichever comes first, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. It's that B we're involved in now. God is setting us free from the grip that sin has in our lives. So some key truths. The enemy's scheme is to turn footholds into strongholds. If he gets a, you know what a con man does, he knocks on your door and uh, jams his foot in the door so you can't slam the door on him. And then he starts trying to persuade you to let you into the house. The evil one tries to get a thought in and then once the thought's in, tries to get you to believe it until it becomes part of you. This war is about truth. Jesus is the truth and the truth will set us free. So we've got a prayer exercise we're going to do together in the last five minutes. In your groups, you might just, it depends how well you know each other, but you, you can talk about what's come out. But if you're brave enough to name, here is something that I do have an issue with. I do worry a lot. I do get rather angry. I am rather afraid. Actually, I'm really greedy. <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> but if it, whatever it is, these things, I'm really struggling to forgive someone. If you know it, if you're prepared to name it, it starts to break the power in you and you can pray for each other. But it may be the groups are too big and you need a safer, small place to do that. Uh, how do you respond to the idea of the enemy getting topos, getting a place, a foothold? And do pray for each other. You're on your own in the week, please do take some time to pray through which of these might be true for me. Talk to a close friend. Just try and recognize something. And then pray through the five R's. Uh, and I, we're going to do it together for an example. So over the page, uh, I've picked the example of fear of man. This is being afraid of what other people think of us. And it can be paralyzing. We might want to do something, but we're so afraid of others ridiculing us or what they say that we don't do it. We're afraid. Now, fear is not from God. That's the truth. 2 Timothy 1.7. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is like, I believe the bad's going to happen. Faith is trusting the good. Freedom from fear comes as we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the presence of fear, and then we bring that in prayer to the cross. Now there are loads of things people are afraid of. We're afraid of things going wrong, of God not caring for us. We're afraid, uh, in my case, the unbelief was I was afraid God wouldn't guide me what to do. We're afraid of people finding out about our past or secret sins. That's like shame. But we're particularly often afraid of what others think of us, fear of what people think about me, Fear or imagine well, oh, what others say about me. Gosh, I ministered to some people who are paralyzed by the idea that others might be thinking or talking about them. It can be paralyzing. Fear of being rejected by people close to me. Fear of being more concerned with others' approval than what God thinks about me. Uh, it's just, this can be paralyzing. Now, I think it's 365 times someone counted up in the Bible. It says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. One for every day of the year. Uh, do not be afraid. We're told not to be. Joshua, one nine. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God will go with you. Psalm 23. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. Therefore, we will not fear. 
Proverbs 29, fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Isaiah, I am with you, do not fear, and so on. Romans 8, you didn't receive a spirit of fear, but of adoption. Uh, there's a whole lot in Galatians about this. About uh, I won't go through this section about us being set free into a liberty of stuff that's holding us back. Down the bottom, this fear is often linked to insignificance. We're not secure in who we are, so we're more afraid of what others think. We give more weight to what others think of us. Or it might be linked to pride. We really like people to admire and respect us. There's part of me that rather likes being the vicar of a larger church that people see as successful, of course. But if that becomes dominant, then that's a problem. And that might lead to me not risking things in case they go wrong. Or what if something goes wrong, what will others think about whether I'm any good as a vicar or not? You get that idea. It might be linked to unbelief. If we don't get the approval of others, will God see us through? Or we're frightened of offending people. These sort of strongholds, they hunt in different packs, but fear is at the root of lots of them. So how do we deal with it? We do this five R's. Number one, we recognize it. And then we go through the four R's praying. So just let's be quiet for one minute. And in the quietness, Lord, if there's some of this that's true of us, just help us recognize it. Is there anything in here that we're that's true of us that we're afraid of? And lots of you will have identified that. Maybe not everybody, but for lots of us, this is an issue. So how do we deal with it? Well, we repent of not whatever it is, giving more weight to what other people think than what God does, to not trusting that God will provide for us, whatever the lies. Uh, we'll do that out loud in a minute. And then we receive forgiveness, and then we receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then we rebuke the evil one, and then we choose and ask God to help us to walk in the opposite spirit of faith not fear uh, so what I, when I was learning some of this stuff I found it really helpful when someone led me through a prayer so what I'm going to do is lead you through a, a prayer and uh, provided you agree with the prayer repeat it out loud after me so I'm going to say heavenly father you will reply heavenly father I'm sorry for I'm sorry for right, do you get the idea? so let's stand up it's actually quite energizing doing this so and if you've never rebuked the forces of evil out loud, that is quite energizing. So we're, we're going to do that. We're going to walk through this. So just before we repeat, Father, we want this not to be an empty exercise, but real. We know you want to set us free from fear. We know your perfect love casts out fear. So come now and lead this prayer time for all of us and guide me as I walk us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first of all, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I recognize fear in my life. Just quietly acknowledge what that is before the Lord that you've recognized. I want you to set me free. I want I am sorry for not trusting you fully. I am sorry for being more concerned with what others think than what you say. I'm sorry for not trusting you. Please forgive me. Thank you that when you died on the cross, you paid the price for all my sin including my unbelief. Please forgive me and help me to trust you. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're halfway through, doing well. <laughs> now we want to pray that God would fill us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Heavenly Please fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and your love. And may your perfect love cast out my fear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now we do the rebuking bit. I speak to any forces of evil trying to get at me in this area of fear. I rebuke you. I will not listen to you. I am a child of God. My heavenly Father loves me. He's promised to guide me. He promised to provide for me. And I do not need to fear. I rebuke you. Be gone. I send you to the feet of Jesus. It's quite energizing, isn't it? <laughs> Father, we thank you that you have defeated the evil one through Jesus on the cross, that he is defeated. We know he's powerful, but we know that you are far more powerful. So set us free. May we know your forgiveness. May we know your filling. And give us grace to walk this out the other way in trust for you. Help us to help each other in this. Bless the groups as they talk about it and pray for each other. And as, as the week, in the weeks ahead as we walk this through more. And we ask that whatever is stopping us entering into who you've made us to be, you would reveal it to us and help us to deal with it and trust you until we are walking in faith, not in fear. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I promised Adam I would stop nearly at quarter two. Well, it's ten two. It's not bad. It's better than you thought it would be. Uh, thank you very much. Adam, what needs to happen now? Group, group times? Group times. You've been very patient, and I hope um, next week you'll come back and we'll do some missional discipleship training. Uh, but that's quite energizing. I feel more awake than I did earlier. So thank you.